the fifth night of the fire, because this fire was endless. It went on and on. So it was, it was an ordeal. It, and by the fifth night of the fire, when the winds come back, and I'm leaning with my fire extinguishers trying to put out place, and everything's going back up in flames because all the winds are kicking up all the embers. So it's, it's, and I hear very distinctly inside, tell me what you hate and I'll burn down your house. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men This Way. Have you considered whether the daily questions you live in are questions sourced in fear or in wonder? Do you regularly spend time with what truly matters to you? And where do you go when you can't run away from your challenges anymore? Well, in this episode, my guest Lee McCloskey and I mine these questions and so much more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. This is one of my favorite conversations I've ever had with another human being. I know that's a big statement, but I am a philosopher at heart, and Lee McCloskey is one of the most intriguing, fascinating, inspired, and inspiring minds alive on the planet today. While Lee was a famous TV actor back in the day, a regular on TV shows like General Hospital and Dallas and countless other daytime soaps and movies and shows like Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica... I've actually only ever personally known him as one of the most fascinating minds alive. Because in addition to being just a regular grounded dude, a grounded man, a human being, he's also a visionary artist and plugged into the mystical realms philosopher. And you'll find that out for yourself in this conversation between Lee and I. Now, I first met Lee in person at his home in Malibu many, many years ago. I had no idea what I was in for when a friend invited me to a small movie screening one evening that Lee and his wife Carla were hosting. From the outside, his home, just a short walk from the wild Pacific Ocean, looked more or less like any modest Malibu home, by which I mean it wasn't some grotesque mega mansion snubbing its nose at the land and everyone around it, but rather a beautiful and expansive country home. Two stories or so sweetly nestled into the trees and hills surrounding it. The kind of place you'd expect to be welcomed with open arms, a glass of iced lemonade and stories on the porch before retiring to a guest bedroom bigger than your living room. But what I stepped into in Lee's home was far beyond anything I'd ever imagined. Because after the 9-11 tragedy in 2001, Lee went to work on turning his entire second floor into an artwork of epic visionary proportions, the likes of which I've only seen rivaled in places like Salvador Dali's fantastic home in Spain and artist Alex Gray's mind-bending chapel of sacred mirrors in New York City. Now, I can't even begin to describe Lee's home, even though I just tried to begin. I can't. I'm not even going to try to continue. And, and I really want to get into this conversation, which 
I caution you, you will have to listen deeply and you may have to listen a few times because interspersed throughout what may seem like an intensely philosophical conversation, Lee says some of the most beautiful and profound things you'll ever hear, like, there are no evil atoms, and I have to tell my wife and my daughters that it is their love that has healed me. And one of my favorites, we are coming out of the age of the father. I think therefore I am, and we are entering the age of the mother. I love, therefore I am. So grab your lemonade and a seat on the porch. I saved a rocking chair for you. And listen well, all the way through to Lee's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Lee McCloskey, my friend, sir, it is such an honor to have you on Men This Way. Brian, it is an honor to be here and I'm delighted we're going to talk today. Yeah, I'm so excited. Ever since I first came to your house uh, many years ago, and I, I've tried to explain your home to people. I'm sure you you get this all the time. <laughs> it sounds like a madman. <laughs> I mean, it, it it must be experienced. It's not even seen. Seeing it, it's like the Grand Canyon. You can't just see the. You have to experience it. Exactly, immersive. <laughs> and I have a feeling that's going to be a a theme in our conversation today, actually. But before I dive into that. I want to just ask you, because I know that you live in Malibu and you're the fires, that great fire that just came through and your house escapes the fire. But how was that experience for you and how is everything there? For us, it is very wonderful because we stayed and we fought the fire. I grew up two miles from here. So Mm -hmm. I learned a long time ago that you can't count on others to have your back. You have to be prepared. You have to understand that if things show up, you're not expecting, don't expect someone else to back you up. And so with that attitude, Carla and I never left. Everyone else did leave. I mean, mm-hmm. they evacuated, but the fire came up to our, our door and essentially to make a long story that was extraordinary and very, very difficult for the community because we lost so many homes. We lost uh, all the way our neighbor on the North side, our neighbors are all gone all the way up the street. Wow. And so there's 170 homes that have burned wow. right around us. And so the flames came right up to my home, right Amazing. up to which is the name of my home. And that story, you know, and one has to look at these things not simply as natural events, but also very uh, psychological events of what do they mean. And so this fire takes on a remarkable mythic story, this apocalyptic fire, this burning away of, of really false values because mm-hmm. the fire became this moment where one realizes that that it doesn't really matter whether you like your neighbor or not community is where neighbors you know whether or not we're friends and that neighbors keep an eye on each other and the anger had become so great and i do feel that the fire then stimulates our conversation now is with with after the fire after everything is devastated after there's nothing to hold on to What conversation do you have then? And I think that's what a lot of people are feeling. There's this enormous fire going on inside of them and they don't know what to do. Yeah. Wow. You know, one of the things that I've heard you say uh, maybe a few times over the years in my visits to your home, there are no evil atoms. Yeah. Yeah. This always has just struck me at such a deep, profound level. It seems so obvious in its simplicity. Right, right. And yet the implications of it are almost unfathomable to the mind. Exactly. But if you think of atoms, this relationship, there are no evil atoms. 
I am matter, mater, mother, the story that we are woven of the infinite gift of life, which is the whole and holy library. That's the story here, this mythic emergence of the truth that we are holograms. And we know this now from science. This really isn't mm. physics anymore. It's much more having to do with a lot of theoretical physics that have really come into the fore, which is, yeah. you know, with if we understand the body is composed, it's an atom body, it's composed of infinite atoms, then it's the rejection of any of those atoms that is the rejection of the body as a whole. And the greatest analogy is a library that the atoms are the books in the library. And we might not like different books or different characters, and we might look at them as dark and evil. But when you see the library in the conversation of our humanity, they're essential characters because in every play, we know every good movie, the hero is brought out, not because the villain goes, I'm going to make this movie for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's I, it's amazing. You know, I, I actually, a lot of my work is with couples. I do couples coaching. My partner is a marriage and family therapist. We do some coaching and therapy work together. And it's one of the things that I'm often reminding couples of that every great fairy tale involves some, what we call evil, usually a woman, usually an evil stepmother or an evil witch or, you know, the, 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 the goddess, some whose work is to keep the, the lovers separated. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And if you understand that basis, then you begin to understand why every time we talk about wisdom or, or really philosophy or symbolism, it's around organic nature, meaning from a seed to the sprout, yeah. finally to the bud, and then the blossom, that these are all different parts of really a unified whole. And when yeah. we understand that in a way, then we can see these different conditions like weather that aren't really as much about who we are, but really a place that would help us understand where we are and to use that as a navigational device of, oh, I don't have to keep struggling against this. I don't need to, I don't need to take it all so personally. Yeah. You know, Lee, I, I knew that in this conversation, you're, you are so plugged in everything that I've experienced of you. You and I have never just hung out and, you know, chatted about the plants in the garden. I've only heard you <laughs> espousing, you know, like plugged into the Akashic records, the matrix, like Neo and seeing it all. And you're a man that occurs to me as both superbly grounded in reality. I mean, you're a successful actor and painter, a beautiful home in, in Malibu, and yet you are plugged in directly to these mystical realms. And I knew that my challenge here today would be to I am in love with everything that you have to say, and I will encourage everyone, and I'll, I'm going to put some links to your videos, your video revisioning the tarot mm -hmm. is mind-blowing. I felt myself getting excited to just be alive again. And not that I wasn't before, but it, I felt reinvigorated. And what occurs to me, and this is what I'd like to try and bridge is, you know, I like to think in terms of maps, like you just pointed, maps, where are we right now? Right, right. And how do we live well? How do we navigate? You know, if I really appreciate you saying that because I think that the point of all of these greater stories are how do we live them? You know, how do we humanize? How do we make them something we live with and are part of our context, not just a, a belief system or something we have to be that we're not? That's why I do feel that the placement of my home now, why I is is very important. We're right at the end of the country. There's no further to go. And you mean you, like right up against the ocean? Yeah, exactly. There's there's a quarter of a mile that's not that's right. right. But but in a sense, there's we we are at walking distance from the end of the land. It's, the fire burns, and if you start to think about the world, 
symbolically, not meaning it represents something it's not, but more like when we look at dreams and we say, why did that character, why, you know, we're not trying to play characters against each other. We're trying to understand a deeper story. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I really, in my storytelling now, when people come to the house, because it's domestic space, mm-hmm. and I try to start with them and say, listen, this is a different truth. The truth we experience in the domestic realm, meaning where we have to live with ourselves and those we love 24 hours a day, it's a very different truth. It's a very different demand. And it's a very, it's a much more vulnerable place that it's not arguing with the neighbors. It's not being mighty with our political, uh, you know, admonishments against others or, you know, in a sense that builds our identity. It's much more, how do I do this every day? How do I get up in the morning? And for me, my, my art, my studio that began on 9-11-2001 was as a father and a husband, I fell on my knees. You know, you could almost say the grand erections of money and God, yeah. this I have more than you do in our story, collapses and we're left on our knees as men and as human beings saying, I thought getting more would be the truth. Yeah. But as, as the men and women died on 9-11, we saw them and it really broke my heart because yeah. it was this feeling they just wanted to hold their kids. They wanted to hold their wife. They wanted to say, I love you. They wanted to say to their husband, you're the most important thing. But they were, they, you know, and that's what I think this, this false ambition is about, well, what do we do if we've been doing this for thousands of years? What do we do when we reach the end of the land? What do we do when the fire takes out the community? We're not using it to cook or warm. We're using it against each other. Mm. You know, and so this then becomes this sense, well, let's look at the symbolism. We, we return home in this story. We return back to a painted cave, meaning art, because art is just painting. Painting's the first thing we did, and it was never to illustrate. It was to connect, right? Like putting your hands on your beloved. That's why it's all about the relationship of communion, not illustration. In the West, we're taught it's about illustration. But again, what makes this very sacred where I live is this is Shumash land. So there's this sense of ancestral responsibility, not simply to getting somewhere, but like a tree saying, what do I do with these roots that I've been running away from? What do I do with the trauma? What do I do with the blood in the soil? What do I do with the hate? What do I do with with the unforgivableness of my my male nature? I mean, this is really what I think we're dealing with. I don't think we're dealing with something personal. I think we are in a process that is deeply alchemical, meaning that we are not getting out of anything. We are transmuting it by living through it. And so maybe the fire on 11-9, two years to the day of the election, start to tell us that anger became the keyword. Why am I angry at you? What can you say to anger me? And then we look at this deeply symbolically and my work on the tarot becomes significant because the tarot archetypes are called trumps. Yeah. And this is why if you look at things politically, you take sides. But if you look at this symbolically, you look at it as a theater piece to say, wait a minute, this President Trump tower is Mars in this symbolical universe. Mars sets things on fire because it's a fire that we, after it is done, we cannot return to the old ways. Yeah. And that's like the community here, right? It's devastated. It's on its knees. People can't go home. Yeah. They've lost their homes. They've lost everything that mattered to them is gone. Yeah. There's so many people out here in trauma. And then you look around our country and you say, around the world, you say, this is not, this is not a unique event. This is an apocalyptic moment in the Woolsey fire in Malibu. Yeah. But it happened in North Yep. In Florida, it happens in the Midwest. It happens yep. all over. These extreme experiences, I think, are fundamentally shaking us to the core, saying, yeah. what is your story? Yeah. And how do you think you've gone through all of this torment? 
And do you think it's about more torment, or do you think it's to finally go from this, right? The fist to the opening. Close fist, the bud to the open hand, the blossom. Yeah. Beauty is a greater strength than the stuff of force. But you said something that, again, struck me that I think is really related here, that we are coming out of the age of the father. You said this in one of your videos. Um, we're coming out of the age of the father. I think, therefore, I am. And you didn't say this exactly, but you were saying that the, the knowledge of the mother, we are coming into the knowledge of the mother, which is I love, therefore I am. And if you think of this in partnership, right? Because we're bound, we are woven of love and thought. The quality of when we think, we separate. If we look in the mirror, I think I'm me, I don't, yeah. I'm you. But when we see each other in love, we are brothers. So love connects, Yeah. Uh, separates. But the human condition is this right angle, this connection between, yes, the chair is a chair and only a chair. But if you trust your love, it can also become the foundation for a story. Mm. You know, in other words, one keeps you in the world of objects and the other in the world of connection and the two together create context and meaning, mm. which is a beautiful thing. It's like the two hemispheres saying, yeah. when you trust that it's not one or the other, I think that's why the yeah. Of the art here is very important. Art is not theoretical. Art is manifest. It's the manifest creation. And this is what we are. So only art can actually reveal our deeper story because this is the place where it's not meant to instruct us, but to inspire us, to quite literally oxygenate us, free us to breathe a different kind. And that's why I say it's very important when people think about my work that it is the key is where you live where you are at home, with those you love, meaning it's not to impress the neighbors, not to make something big and bold, mm. but something intimate and true, and to grow from that source. I think that's why, as I said, my work began with this sense of, I have to tell my wife and my daughters that it's their love that has healed me. All the books I've collected, the 39 years of discussion groups I've had here weekly have inspired this, but it's all brought me back. And I love that, as I say, I have a ranch-style house, so it's human scale. It's painted. My painting is on linoleum. So it's on the ordinary. You mm -hmm. think, it's like, we keep thinking, oh, I have to be golden. It's like, no. Actually, what you think of as so ordinary in you is the gift, because that's the unique voice that as you find your Adam, right, as men, as you find yeah. what it means to be a man, as I find what it means to be a man. And we come together in this circle, not to dishonor and say that's not what it means to be a man, but to say that's what it means to be a man. That's also what it means to be a man. Yeah. That's what it means to be a man. Then we start to not look at each other as evil atoms, but to understand this dynamic archetypal story that's continually putting us as a character involved with all these other characters. And if we look at it that way, then we don't isolate and say I'm isolated from this, but actually I'm essential to the larger conversation. But like the library, if I'm stuck in my book, I only think it's my story. If I leave out of my book and realize it's a library, then I realize I'm part of a huge story that allows me to go back into my context. Do you see? Mm -hmm. That struggle that I should be someone I'm not, which is always in a sense in the male ego, I'm not where I should be. I'm not who I'm, yeah. I'm not, what, you know, why do I hate myself so much? Mm-hmm. And when we understand this is not personal, this is what I call really this deeper layer of, of the story of really the Adam and Eve, that we are each Adam and each Eve. Yeah. Well, I, I God, Lee, 
Oh, I want to take a deep breath <laughs> and I want to invite all our listeners to just take a deep breath and we're going to let, let's, let's stay here for a moment. There's just untold riches that we can mine here. And I'm one thing that you pointed out speaking to your wife and your daughters, I am, I am healed by your love. And I, I see in my own journey as a man in relationship to, you know, as a heterosexual man in relationship to my my female partner, but also, you know, obviously that's a relationship to my own heart that we're, we're talking about and my own, my own, the love that I am. And, but I think when I work with couples that are really in crisis or, or men, I have a lot of men that I work with that they have everything they thought they were supposed to want. Yeah. They have it. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. It's like the large houses where they're, they're, they're spacious emptiness. That's right. Because they, they hold the status but no true wealth because it's all been given to become something in the mirror, right? And it's pulling up and seeing ourselves. This is who I am, but being stuck because you can't actually go through the mirror. You mm -hmm. get on self-reflection. And at that point, as you know, when you're helping people, you're like, how do you whisper, turn around? You are mm -hmm. turning as you turn back in, you'll realize that you've done the outer work. This is what I feel about the tarot. Even the, the spokes have projected out. The characters are there. So we don't have to rebuild the piano all the time, but understand this is the nature, the matrix. Then we can begin to understand, and I don't mean this as painters, but the artist, the, the quality in the human being, which is I need to know by stepping into the not knowing of something. I will yeah. I trust that the not knowing will mentor me. And this, we get everything from gardening. If you garden, the plants begin to teach you mm -hmm. what they need. The same thing with painting. Painting begins to teach you. And so it teaches us, I think, to listen differently. And that's why I do. I feel that when, you talk, when we're talking about love, about love healing, is that this is one of the hardest qualities I found before I met Carla, was I, I really at one point felt it impossible to forgive myself. And it wasn't mm -hmm. as Lee. It was something from this deep human journey, the scars of the journey itself, and that's why I keep feeling that although you and others, all of us have gone through, in a way, many of these feelings, I think it's to really stimulate that by, by going through these feelings, by trying to find voice in the same way that, that I always say about the poet's the best example, because a poet runs out into the world and goes, do you see how wonderful things are? And everyone says, shut up. And then <laughs> the poet, which means a hundred people read you rather than no one. Yeah. The point of that relationship is not about selling some. It's about the willingness to have an intimate relationship that says, at least between you and me, I have to say this. I have to get, honor this. And maybe that's this going to this kernel, finally, of we've always been taught that what will change us is something big, as opposed to the sense of maybe it's something quite intimate when we realize that we have been living out Really, the, the the we'd almost say the sins of the last thousands of years. Yeah, you know, we're trying to. We've reached the edge of the country. We've reached where the fire has no fuel, so we have to stand our ground, stand up, and say, at least where I live, that these things matter. Well, I'm aware in so much of our storytelling in our movies, there is this message. Uh, for example, the movie's Mission Impossible. Right. The the main character, played by Tom Cruise, he has to make a choice. And it, this is spoken. This is openly, this is the plot of the film, essentially. Either I save the world or I have a relationship with a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, he chooses to save the world. Yeah. Yeah. And he foregoes being married to his wife. Because if he chooses her, 
well, the world won't be saved. It'll, it's fucked. And so, and I think a lot of us men, I actually heard a man just a few days ago uh, in, a, in a group that I'm in, a men's group that I'm in, share how if I have to choose between succeeding at my work in the world or succeeding at my relationship, I will succeed at my work. Mm-hmm. And yet, everything we have learned about people on their deathbeds, nobody on their deathbeds says, I wish I would have worked a little harder. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's always yeah. about the relationships. And maybe this is, if you think of a time, because you know people talk about the shift of ages from the Piscean to the Aquarian. What does that mean? Mm. If you look at this as going from a parental state of consciousness, meaning one that has for thousands of years been taught to, you are as a child, you are subordinate to authority. Yours is to impress authority, to become authority, but these are the rules of the game. And that's really like a child with a parent. The parent says, I will, I will tell you, when you succeed and you will be part of success because these will be the markers. Mm. And we reach this moment. And I do think it's been going on for a long time where those old models of success, and in a way, a lot of the billionaire models, which are so unseemly now, you know, in a way it, because the money comes from such angst, it's no longer like, wow, it's like, ah, something's cancerous. Mm. And this over effectiveness of ruling, dominating the outer world in a sense, this, masculine desire to be projected like a king. I am all that I possess, but it creates the empty king. Meaning what do you do when you have all of this and you've lost touch with everything else? Mm -hmm. And I do feel like that's in a way, not simply personal. We're seeing this on, on the stage as all different representations of male value systems. Yeah. That's why I do. I feel like it's not rejecting. It's almost like, how do we create a, a place where, if I can integrate the two, they'll both help me navigate. In a way, my like for me, I found Hollywood as an actor, being married with Carla created a value system in me that allowed me to navigate those waters. So I didn't adopt, that, in a sense, the value systems of the, of the industry. Mm-hmm. Before I navigated the industry because I had very core value systems in terms of relationship. But I think oftentimes the key is that that relationship with the feminine is not even necessarily with an outer partner. Yeah. How we, and both male and female form, have been taught there's nothing of real value inside of you. And if you can't turn a profit from your creativity, you might as well forget about it. That's right, yeah. You see, and, and you play on that. And as you get older, you think, well, hell, I've never been able to make any money at this thing. So I guess I'll put my guitar away. I never became the songwriter. I thought I would... And the, the music spirit saying, no, no, it's not that everyone becomes famous. That's the illusion Yeah, that you have a relationship with the things that matter. Because if you can't have that primary relationship with things that matter, then how on earth could you have a relationship with a person? Do, you know, in other words, if, if yeah. we're not holding things yeah. that we value, then we're waiting for values to be held for us, to find our values in relationship. And that's like an actor waiting for a fellow actor to say, I want you to show up with my performance. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know, having myself also been exposed in the, in the entertainment industry through various means and, and seeing, well, I mean, look, as you said, we can see it on the main stage. I mean, it's just our president, regardless of your politics, he's clearly not a happy person. And he's at least he presents as though he has everything that a man could ever want. But you still, we, you know, we can still see his wife swat away his hand from time to time. <laughs> like, well, yeah, he's a very important figure because yeah. if you look at him, 
symbolically, I, I find it very interesting. When I did General Hospital, I played a character, Damian Smith, for a couple Yeah. He was modeled after Donald Trump. I'd modeled him after Donald Trump because in 93 or 94, I wanted to, I said, what is this culture value mm. as outward success? It was this figure. And so yeah. that he rises now into the public scene because it is this question all around the world, which is not in judgment. It is, I believe, about values. That's what, and speaking of the fire, going back to that, the fifth night of the fire, because this fire was endless. It went on and on. So it was... Yeah, I remember. It was an ordeal. It, yeah. and by the fifth night of the fire, when the winds come back, and I'm leaning with my fire extinguishers trying to put out place, and everything's going back up in flames because all the winds are kicking up all the embers. So it's... it's, And I hear very distinctly inside, tell me what you hate, and I'll burn down your house. It was this real warning about anger. It was like... We've all gotten so good at pointing out what we hate, what we don't like, and what's wrong with them. That's very toxic. And this is one of the reasons why this sense of, again, finding that, that in the fire, it wasn't that you could protect everyone else's home, but by protecting your home and keeping an eye on the homes of others, the community in certain areas was able to survive. And that is exactly what happened here. Everywhere you see a house that dots the otherwise ashen ruin, it's the same story as Carla and I. Mm. People stayed and said, I love this and I will not leave. There were some people that had to leave because it was, it was an inferno. But this is what I feel, though, on a symbolical a storytelling level, like the fire is upon us. And you are being asked, tell me what you hate and I'll burn you from the inside. So tell me what you love. Tell me what you want to grow. In a time of difficulty, this is when you have the courage to plant a seed, not to convince others, but to say, at least this matters to me. Yeah. I begin here. I am proud to be alive. You know, I'm not ashamed. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I just need to take another breath. <laughs> so, so much richness and depth in your, in your sharing and in your insight and in your, your visioning of things so many directions that I want to go and you bring up the seed again. And one of the things that really, I really enjoyed throughout your work is, is it seems that a theme in your work, in your, your wisdom is, is living the questions, right? Living the questions. And, you know, Rilke has that really beautiful ancient quote of, you know, the point is to live everything, live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Yes. And, and I'd say, and you, you use the word seed. And, and you know, in, in your, one of your presentations, you talk about, are your questions of life or of death? Are they questions of fear or wonder? Which seed grows a garden? Do your questions grow a garden? And I'd say, I would argue that many of us are living in survival questions, the death questions, essentially. How do I make more money? How do I not get rejected? How do I not fuck this up? How do I not piss off my partner? How do I, on and on and on and on. And I'm curious, could you offer more empowering questions, life questions, seed growing questions, garden growing questions? I really do believe that... The world is a great storm. So in a way, if you put something out, it's swept away very quickly. <laughs> yeah. So the question is, where can I create protected space? Part of the symbolism of my home is that maybe the last place that we are not surveilled, we are not uh, 
whatever alphabetized and categorized and psychologized is where we are able to turn off technology. Mm. Where we're able to say, at least here, this is my space. And I feel very strongly now that a lot of the question of embodiment, like we use acting, you know, you will play, if we both played Hamlet, you will play Hamlet differently than I will. But to mm. be, not to be, will be just as rich and meaningful, although different through you or through me. But the greater story is that it's each of our expression of a greater energy that runs through both of us. And a lot of this for people that I think are trying to make a space is be private about it. I mean, don't get online. Don't share it until you're ready like a gardener. Think of a seedling, right? I need to plant a seed and I need to pay attention to this much of it. You know, I can't pay attention to all of this. Right. And I do feel a ritual. Everything on a quantum level, if we stop thinking in terms of metaphysics, just think of quantum energy as imagination and that what we imagine affects what we are observing. If we do not introduce imagining this as well, then we only imagine the difficulty. And the difficulty has nowhere to go. So in a way, what we're being asked imaginatively is if you have a problem, it's not that you go directly at the problem and change it. As much as you start to see inside of yourself the resistance that has sort of begun to identify with the problem. Mm -hmm. How do you pull back and say, yes, but I choose to introduce this idea as well. This is what I've always done. It's like when I have a reaction, like if you're driving and you're cut off, your yeah. primary self goes through the list. It is. It's racial. It's gender. It's age. I mean, every because the furious beast in all of us that just goes, stop it. <laughs> yeah. Is, is it says, so when these energies come up, the whole point of a mental martial art is not to obstruct the energy, but to begin to use the energy Again, not in a karate way, but an Aikido way. Begin to understand how do I use these energies and flow with them rather than have them stop and feel even worse about myself, which in a sense feeds into the problem. Right. You see how one is the ratio of ever diminishing returns and the other is a seed that plants the possibility that is giving me material to work with. Think about any creative problem. It's not that we figure it out optically, that we figure it out mentally, but we keep playing with it. We keep, and that opens, it decompresses and allows us to see things from a different place. This is why in the art here, which is 3D, the glasses, the 3D glasses say, if you look at me one way, put on the glasses and look at me again. I haven't changed. Your perspective has. And in that ability to see things in more than one way, we're able to breathe. And think about drowning, right? You're not, you're panicking, you're not breathing. And then suddenly, right. you, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious here. <sighs> you shift your energy. This is why a lot of, I, I really feel that people would really benefit not to be actors, but to use acting tools. Mm-hmm. Because acting tools with a character is if the character's incomplete, you don't go, well, that's me, I'm done. You, you, you add the character you, you start to use resource that's why as an artist it was never to be a painter my dad was a painter it was to use it as a tool a way of asking questions and I realized again a lot of the questions I was asking weren't questions being asked in the world because to a great degree like growing a great tree in the world we don't have time for that <laughs> you know and and we have to we're living in survival questions 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's right. The guitar isn't making money, so just put it aside. Yeah, and that's why I do feel it's like incrementalism. The point is that when I wrote my book on the tarot, it, it took about five years, and I but I realized that the beginning of it, because I realized time goes so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think of like, where did last week go? Where did last month go? Where did the last... And you start to think incrementally. And this is what I thought about the book. I said, I'll write a paragraph, two paragraphs a day. I'll see if I can distill. You know, that was my challenge. And lo and behold, over 365 days, writing a couple of paragraphs a day or what I could, I had a book. But I, if I thought I've got to write a book, I'd be like, oh, whoa, way too much work. Yeah, yeah. My brain would shut down. It's, yeah. it's almost like, how do you fox yourself into it, you know, in a sense, yeah. how do you give yourself permission to not go straight at something, but to trust that every day, if you say, I want to create these things I really value, and maybe the world doesn't, but I do. So this is going to be my relationship with what matters to me. Mm-hmm. And we begin to say, I'm going to give five minutes a day. This is a ritual. It begins to set up in the quantum field. Oh, you're paying attention. I guess you're interested in these things. I have to say my regular discussion groups here, I had a theosophical discussion group here every Tuesday night from 8 o'clock to 9.15 for 25 years. And that was, I'm convinced now, a regular point in the quantum calendar. Mm. Every Tuesday night, this matters here. Mm-hmm. Every Tuesday night, these things will be attended to, whether there is, are many or few, because this gardener said, every Tuesday night. I believe that one of our problems is, is we do not understand that there is a, we understand the grail nights, this sense of becoming worthy of what we seek to know, that we are not to take. And if we take in a way, this is the whole story of Parsifal. If you take, you're just a, you're a, you're a buffoon. It, it's not what a man does. A man does not seek to grab and take. And this is one of the things that I think in the survival mode of all of these questions of like, how do I do this? I think that that's almost the question of the the night saying it is not up to others. It's not up to the conditions of the battle itself. It's up to the condition when the fire comes to your door, do you stay or do you go? Mm. Do you stand your ground and say, this matters to me? Or do you say, I will allow my insecurity that maybe it doesn't matter and give that over to others to control. Mm-hmm. I really do feel like a lot of that is it's not to be against others, but it's to stand firmly in, you know, that this is where I stand. So it's not to be against others. I think that's key because we define so much of our positioning as being against something. Exactly. And that's negative. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that when we may find ourselves without something to be against, well, we'll manufacture something to be against because that's just what, that's the conditioning. Absolutely. Because conflict is more familiar than calm. Mm-hmm. And calm seems too passive. Like nothing. <laughs> right? Something, something's wrong. Nothing's happening. I'm, I'm feeling peaceful here. <laughs> yeah. As this ego that we all have. And, and why I go back and I like to use the, the sense of let's use story as a way of saying, why did we get here? Because if we have story, then we have context. And that's the idea. The simple idea here is that through paint, and storytelling archetype and myth, we begin to say what the library always says, is that the library is overwhelming. Your story as human is overwhelming. There's subjects you don't even know what they mean, like I don't know. You go and say, what is that? That's to say, that's really how interesting you are. 
that who you are is connected to that which you can't even begin to comprehend. So begin to see yourself as uniquely suited to your part in this huge conversation in the library and that you are essential. And when my dad died, his book, I saw it very consciously, his book of life was squeezed and the waters were returned to the waters of life. But the book put on the shelf said, ah, but now it's been lived. Mm -hmm. And I want to say after that to everyone I talk to, you do not know how heroic you actually are. You're the being that willingly stepped into the question. You wanted to know what it meant to understand the difficulty of, well, how do I have values in a world that seemingly doesn't have any? How do I navigate and survive and still love in a world that tells me to hate and makes me feel I'm strong when I'm, when I'm invincible and I don't feel anything? What do I do? You know, and to me, this is the whole question of who we are now. It's we have to include, not to exclude, but to finally include the domestic key. That sense of when push comes to shove, I love these people. Because when you love somebody, when you say this domestic responsibility, it does keep your feet on the ground, right? Because you're a father, a friend, a husband. You say, these people matter to me. I will not run and I will not use my legs to leave as a tree. I will go deeper and deeper into the difficulty and find a greater strength. Because my midsection, my heart, my belly, right, holds these people, which keeps my head on my shoulders. Yeah. Oh, my head. I use my imagination to trip out, get away, say it's not here. It's some religious notion of the elsewhere. You know, I'm I'm so as you're sharing this, I'm I'm the word home is coming to me. You know, one of my teachers, a woman named Diane Connolly, wrote a book many years ago, a very beautiful poetic book called All Sickness is Homesickness. Yeah. And in your in your work, you've talked about how we long for home. And so many of our stories and our movies are about leaving only to come back home. You know, the book, The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho is all about going on this epic journey only to find that what he was looking for was back home all along. And you said in, again, one of your presentations, the question we live with, why is my heart so broken? Why does it hurt so much? Why at the end of everything does it seem to add up to nothing? And the key is we can't know what it adds up to until we return to intimacy. Absolutely. Beautiful. Perfect, because this is true. And the last question, because intimacy sees us nakedly. Mm -hmm. It's with a love that says, I see you with your imperfections. Don't hide them. Come to me. Because in this true, unique relationship, we will discover a humanity, a partnership, unimaginable. Yeah, you feel that this is the key to who we are to try and bring us back. Because I also do do question with individuation psychology, all these different who am I, my soul, my body, my soul work. All that the last question is the coming full circle. That's why, interestingly enough, for my work on the tarot, tarot means wheel. Mm. My work on the mandala from my painting Phoenix Arise, mandala means wheel. So wheels within wheels, but also they are both coming full circle. And if you think of the house being at the end of the country, meaning that, that what is it when we have journeyed for a very long time in a direction only to come to where we began? And when I finished after 17 years, I, you know, there are 22 drawings in the major arcana of the tarot, and I spent 17 years. Each one was more difficult than the next. But it was this journey through all of these different realms and stories and characters But when I finished the last one and it plugged in, it did just that. It was sort of like an electrical cable plugging in and the wheel Mm. turned on like a gyroscope. 
right? Yeah. When it was one, 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 it was a line of development, and that took time. Now, think of that as an analogy. We've been going through time, those journeys, through all these different conditions. But we are now at this returning home, this coming full circle. That's why I think the key to the art here and the community here is so essential because what we discover even in the structure of this, un, uh, you know, this remarkable structure is it's this story that, that we find in The Wizard of Oz, that, that Dorothy is in the black and white world of difficulty. She wants to see that there's more than that and she goes to Oz and there's color, and there's munchkins, there's all sorts, of, but she doesn't want to stay there. The first thing she wants to do is get home. Mm. I want to get home to those I love. If the imagination means I'm going to be off in la-la land, help me get home. Wow. And so what does the good witch say? She says, close your eyes. You've never really left. But you will away. So by the time she comes back at the end, she comes back to the black and white world, right? She doesn't try to get out of the difficulty, but suddenly she sees beyond the outer person a deeper beauty. And that's what I really feel now is like the idea is the instrument for us is black and white. It is always this archetypal journey of the characters of, of our stories. But the imagination integrated finally, like it is in this home, says now we can navigate the black yeah. and white things and understand like a piano, those characters are always with us. So it's not you like the devil or love the empress. Of course you're not supposed to like the devil. That's the point in the story. <laughs> right. But the devil's always there because essentially yeah. redemptor and the redeemer, meaning I just wanted to test your values. You see? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I learned from Mark Twain. Uh, his book, uh, is it The Perfect Stranger? I can't remember the his short story, uh, The Perfect, I think it's The Perfect Stranger, where he totally redefined Satan for me and, and gave me a whole new perspective in the tarot. And I love how you described in your presentation on the tarot that the devil's job is really there to just help you kind of make sure you're in integrity with yourself, in a sense. Point is, and the, and even when I wrote about it, it said that the point of the devil is the archetypal is mirth. It's like you're taking it way too seriously, yeah, right? Yeah. No, pressed up against the wall, and there's the, and so it's like it's like how do I create? Yeah. That again, that perspective with material reality, because again, yeah. the energies of matter that fixate us, right? Fixate us thinking that it's the object. And then finally, though, because we go through that journey, almost like we learn the piano, we learn the keys, we're finally given permission to mm -hmm. be play the piano. And that's where I think we're at. I really think we're coming from developing over about the last 800 years in particular, going back to King Arthur and the Grail Knights and this journey, and then the beginning of the Sistine Chapel and this vaulted sense of the, you know, 18 foot high sculptures. Everything was about this grand outward thrusting ego that on 9-11 essentially reaches the twin pillars of, of Mother yeah. God and these erections that can't go higher in a sense. And you have a vaulted view, but keep you away from everything collapse. And in this story, then I do feel they bring us back to humility as if the artist falling off the scaffolding. We're not arguing with popes and gods. Nobody even thinks art is relevant anymore. Yeah. But in a way, it's giving us back as human beings, you're the art form, meaning you are what you create. That was my dad's gift to me when he died. I realized oh, it wasn't the paintings he created. Yeah. Our life. Yeah. And I see that in, you know, as you're sharing, I'm 
thinking back again about the Wizard of Oz and how when Dorothy returns, she sees in all her, what were before just her mundane family members, now she sees the wizard, she sees the lion, she sees they're infused with a magic that they didn't have before she went on that journey into imagination. Absolutely. And I think this is why, when we think about why are these stories so significant, it was very interesting with the fire, going back to that. What showed up here, I kid you not, was a fire tornado. And I told this of of the Wizard of Oz here because it's so relational. But it's interesting that even the mythic signature here has its tornado show up. And it's this idea of we've been using the imagination to escape. But like Dorothy, we don't want to leave those we love. In other words, it's like, I want to go to Mars, but if I've got to go away for 15 years and I have a family, I'm going to go, you know, certain age, that's fine. But, but the other, when you're taking on other responsibilities, you think, I don't want it to be about leaving. I want to find out how do I create the theater of the here and now? How do I, and I think that's what the library is saying. It's saying, look, You've offloaded your human story. So there's the 16th century, the 17th century. There's the Aztecs and the Byzantine. When you see this is all part of your human story, but part of the greater weave, you know, in the sense you're created from all of this, and yet you're able to be uniquely human, in a sense, uniquely ordinary. That, to me, is this indicator that the last point would be not to tell your neighbor how to be or what's wrong with them. But to finally realize that we are starting from being on our knees, finally saying, what do you need from me? I've been responding to the outer world. I've been fighting a battle for thousands of years. I've been trying to find some relevance over and over again. I am on my knees. What do you need from me? And I really feel that these energies are saying for you to be here, Mm. to not betray your creative spirit, to finally say, even if it's only between you and me, and I close the door. That's why this is my home, right? It's the, yeah. it's my home. Because your home isn't put up for judgment. It's not like, what do you think of my daughters or wife? It's like, I'm asking you, what do you think of my daughters and wife? In other words, it's not up for, I give her a six or a seven. It's not judgment. It's about an invitation to saying, in bringing my family and your family and bringing people together, we are honoring the sense of a unique identity, a unique home. Like a book in the library, your your book has a different name on it than mine does. Yeah. Open your book; it's a completely different life than mine. And yet, at core, it is what human. Yeah. And when we understand that, then we adore the humanity of the library because we're woven of it. But then we also adore the fact that we're given and every because this is about men. Every man is Adam in this story, meaning that each of us are woven of the whole and holy, the holographic story. It's it's our mechanism. So we have, in a sense, the villainous Adam and the good Adam, the kind husband and the brutal husband. But when we understand that this is all part of the story, we are finally clear to say, so what part of that story do I choose to activate within myself? Because I am a seed that will grow according to the ideas I infuse myself with. Mm. If I infuse myself with this idea, let me begin with where I live. Let me begin with the linoleum, with the ordinary, this sense that I'm not golden. I didn't win the lottery. I didn't show up with a title. And that's when I finally think we finally reclaim our Emerson, our American soul that says, yeah, you didn't want title. You wanted a relationship with nature and the land that gave you a relationship with God, the great outdoors in those days. You see, 
that sense of wonder, the sense of I'm part of a great experiment, a possibility in human capacity. Yeah. Participate in that, even if I don't know why. It honors it. Yeah. I wonder, so I want to finish with a really big question that you've probably answered it in some way. And, and I think a lot of our listeners in this to this conversation, y'all thought you were coming here for answers, but to bet you got a lot more questions, don't you? <laughs> but live the questions. That's the deal. Yeah. That's the dance. That's the play. Lee, I want to ask you this question. What do you think then? What do you think is the biggest challenge facing men today? I believe that as men, we have to begin to deeply hold and appreciate the journey of man in ourselves, meaning that we are all of our conditions. So we cannot feel either good nor guilty over all of these things, but we can honor them by saying, if this is part of my story, if this is part of who I am, then let me not reject it nor reject another man, but see in that greater expression those resistances, those difficulties, the incapacity to love, the fear of love, and begin to appreciate that if I can somehow even make a small inroad into changing that within myself, then inversely, because I am holographic, I am genetically you, and you are genetically me, then every change we make incrementally allows for what I think of as oxygenation, a bit of breath. And I would almost say that we are at a point where men have to breathe. They have to see the storm, like with, with me too, the sense of upset, the fury of different... This is what I felt very strongly. I was in the killing fields a year to the day before the fires hit Malibu. And I was standing... In uh, the killing fields, meaning... Cambodia. I was in, in Cambodia. Cambodia, yeah. Okay. And I was overwhelmed with, with a sense of deep soul trauma because there, looking into the heart of darkness, it looked back at me and it was not interested at all in what I thought, what I felt, mm-hmm. my politics were. It was a devouring thing. And when you're in a killing field and you're millions, of, it, it, it's unthinkable what's going on. Yeah, I've been to Auschwitz. Well, then the, you know that three days there, that soil, that cry. And, but I was standing there and said, these are not your tears. Yeah. They're tears. You are to bear witness. You are to see that the blood of the ages is not the story of the ages. It is in spite of the blood of the ages. And it said, look at our children. Look at the smiles in our people's faces. It is in spite of this darkness that humanity has formed, not because of it. So do not think you can solve the darkness. It will destroy you. Mm. Rise like Job in spite of that difficulty. To say, I choose while I live to be of life, not fear. Mm. You know, of truth. Yeah. And that doesn't mean for the world. That means like a sentinel standing like a tree. And that's why I think it's very interesting for me. Is I, I felt that I left a sentinel, meaning I will bear witness. And then a year later to bear witness to this fire as yeah. well. And I realized this is the human fire. It's the story of, of judgment and the archetypes, which is the, this, this burning away of the old stories that are no longer of service, but they're creating a different center, a different place to sit in ourselves and to really give ourselves permission to understand that the story can't begin to change unless we give it permission. 
that it can change. And this is the truth about ourselves. And I think it's very important that we begin to honor approach to things. Like, as I say, when I teach painting or art, I always say that you can't know how to do something. So what you want to do is to create the willingness to let something be expressed, to let it come out of you, and to just begin a relationship that grows a sense of interest. You know, so that's, that's I, I yeah. think, where I'm, I think we're at. Yeah, good. And, and I would encourage our listeners to rewind about five minutes and listen to all that again. Listen to this whole podcast again. This is like one of those secrets. There are so many secrets that just the more you spend time in this conversation, you are going to unlock more and more layers of mystery. Like, like your home, Lee, it's just magnificent. And that the words have no words, of course. I mean, words pale in comparison to the experience of being in your home and, and listening to you. And, and so thank you so much. We're going to finish with just what I call the five key takeaways finale round. Kind of ground this and bring this home. Number one, key insight. What's the one key insight that you would offer our listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? Trust yourself. Trust yourself. Trust yourself. Do not use that trust to convince others with. Use that trust to convince yourself with. Stand in that ground and know that you grow out of a greatness, that you are not here by chance, but as an ancient tree, you are learning your participation in a great story. So trust your story and trust your roots. Trust, trust, trust. I love that. And I love especially trust yourself and not to convince others, not as a tool to convince others, not as anti-anything. No, I love that. It's distrust itself. If I need you to believe in me, it's because I don't. (laughs) Yeah, beautiful. Absolutely. Number two, key mentor. Name another man that you've been inspired by, living or dead, that you would recommend our listeners to learn more about. My dear friend, Brew Joy, was a wonderful teacher who passed. And my older teachers, like uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson and William Blake, and I, I feel that a lot of these writers, like I definitely believe if you want to sit down, read self-reliance in a group of as men, just read nature because it does, it pulls something up. And I call it the Emersonian soul, this sense of, of that's right. It isn't about self-reliance based in a political ideology. It's about standing truthfully again in that deeper trust that we are part of an ongoing question, ongoing experiment and an ongoing work of enormous creative potential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And again, in spending time with you these past few days and in your videos and your presentations and, and seeing how much you use William Blake's poetry. And you talk about Rumi, who Rumi is the best-selling poet of the modern day. Mm-hmm. And he wrote his poems, what, 1400 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, he's obviously tapped in in Rilke. You use this beautiful quote from Rilke that I had never heard before. I want to be with those who know secret things or else alone. Absolutely. Beautiful. Thing we should think about. I want to be with those who know secret things or else alone. Are you spending time with those who know secret things? Or are you giving yourself no time for secret things? Mm. This is the sense of how do we use our energy? How do we place our attention? And that's why, and going back to William Blake, he said, I must create a system of my own or be enslaved by another man's. Mm. And you think of that of 
living an examined life. It's not examining it for others. It's examining it for yourself. Yeah. That's the gift. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, three more. Key resource. Now, I know you, you have a lot of movie showings at your house, but I'm curious, what's been your most impactful, inspiring book or movie or podcast of the last year? Um, I'm, I, I really think that in terms of like movies, like I, I loved Black Klansman because I thought it was mm. really mature, wonderful, you know, in a sense, directorial work. But there's a lot of things being done that have really encouraged me from Dave Wexler and the Flying Lotus, these other young artists that are, I guess what you'd say leavening for me, a sense of, oh, it is the tide that is emerging. So there are many things, I'm trying to think of one, um, the books I've, because we've read, we've read um, Bataille and Group, we read uh, Erotism, which was a book uh, we've been reading, uh, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections of Jung, which I would, if, if, if you've not read Carl Jung's Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, I really think that's a very good introduction to the sense of how do we enter into the imagination and still remain grounded? You know, how do we both live a life in the everyday world and honor that sense of what goes on in the dream life and the inner life? So that might be a good, uh, we've been revisiting that, but I think that's a good book. Memories, dreams, and reflections. Great. Thank you. And for our listeners, if you're driving, you can't write any of this down, don't worry about it. It's all going to be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. Brian with a Y, Reeves.com slash men this way podcast. It'll all be there. So don't worry. You don't have to hold on to it. Okay. Number four, we're almost there. Key investment in the last year. What's the best thing that you spent money on under $10,000? In the last year? Yep. Hmm. Well, <laughs> in the last year, hoses. <laughs> I was, you know what? It came to mind. It could be a garden hose. I was going to say, <laughs> I actually, and you know what it was? The other thing, I had the sprinklers on my roof. Uh-huh. They were they were in bad shape. About eight months ago, I had them redone. Wow, less than ten thousand, and saved way more than ten thousand because those things spinning, I'm convinced, created a market that allowed the fire to pass very quickly. There you go, preventive measures. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. And finally, a key practice. Could you please offer one practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational, a practice that has served you well and that you challenge our listeners to take on for just the next seven days? I believe to think custodially, meaning that it is not in the hierarchy of what we're doing, but I spend most of my morning because of the studio on my hands and knees. I begin by cleaning. I begin by uh, creating... uh, a place, you know, sort of like creating the, the the environment, and then I begin the work. And I think a lot of our programming is to think we have to begin the work. Mm-hmm. And I feel that it's to honor all of the process that leads up to the work and to really honor the fact that you are custodial, that you do have responsibility that isn't about enjoyment or having fun or about you. It's about, I need to do this. And because I need to do this, and it is a responsibility, let me not resist it, but let me embrace it and understand that this temple, I am not simply the temple builder. I scrub the floors of the temple as well, because that honors the temple. It's not waiting for it to be something magnificent. It's saying you are magnificent in all of your conditions. And I believe that maybe that's, if we think about life, 
Think about it, relationship, your relationship to others and to the world as custodial. I really love that. I've every morning when I get up, my partner and I, you know, in the evening, we pretty much leave all our dishes overnight. And one of my practices, and I hadn't really thought about it, and I really appreciate you saying this. I always start with washing the dishes and kind of cleaning the kitchen every morning. That's become a default part of my practice. And I've kind of weirdly enjoyed it. But I love what you just said. You just really redefined the experience for me. And because I'm being custodial, I am preparing the space. It, It feels so good to clean the counters and the dishes to cl- so that there's an empty canvas, if you will. Yes. And it makes us feel that we've not left anything out in the process. We didn't just show up to be stars on the middle of the street. Mm. You know what? No. <laughs> I've taken the gum off of the chairs. I've <laughs> we've done it all. I love it. It's how we honor this humanity. Because yeah. if we do that, then we don't look at people doing the gum on the chair on the stage as being different, but really performing different parts of a larger conversation, which allows us to really appreciate that when we see ourselves as that, we can really include rather than exclude. It's so it's so profound. Yeah, it's and so simple, so humblifying. Humbling is that the word I'm looking for? I like humblifying. Oh. Sounded more fun. Yeah, yeah. But no, that's so beautiful, and and also extending that. And this is a, a practice that I'm that also you're helping me really reframe is being the custodian of my body, doing the things first thing in the morning that are really reflective of self-care rather than, I was thinking this morning, there was a point where I was like, God, it's so annoying to have a body. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what a lot of work. <laughs> it's so, you know, there's this, there's this whole mindset in like Silicon Valley. How do we defeat the body? How do we escape the body? How do we upload our consciousness into a computer so that we have to deal with these pesky things that wear out every hundred years or so? <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. So much. Lee, we could talk for hours and hours and hours. I, I mean, I could just listen to you. I, I'm, I'm so enriched by you and your presence. Thank you so much for saying yes to this. Thank you very much. It's such an inspiration and such a delight to speak with you. It really is. Is there, um, well, where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're up to? Where would you want them to go? I am on Facebook as Lee McCloskey, also as Olandar Foundation for Emerging Renaissance, which is O-L-A-N-D-A-R, Olandar Foundation for Emerging Renaissance. I also am LeeMcCloskey.com. If you Google my name with Lee McCloskey Art or Lee McCloskey Lectures or videos, it'll take you to all these different ways. And I, I really think that uh, for me, it's, and also I've been an actor, many people probably, are, your, your older listeners might remember me from other things as an actor, but I, I feel that it's all sort of worth the jumping in and taking taking a look because all of us are working in our own ways to bring about these conversations. And I feel it's the conversation that will be the key that helps transform this future we're all heading toward, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And and I'll have all these links again on the show notes. And I want to just really affirm that. Take some time to watch some of Lee's presentation videos. As I said, when I just watching your video on the tarot, and to be quite honest, I have no interest in the tarot, at least as it's been presented to me and, you know, in the world, it's the thing that kind of, you know, hippies. And, and, yeah, yeah. and I love hippies. I, can, I love hippies. But you, through your presentation of the, of the tarot and the meaning of it, I feel like you gave me a map for life. 
you pointed to a map that I could get. I don't want to get lost in. I want to live what the map is pointing at, but it's so enriching. So I encourage everyone listening, do spend time with, with Lee's work. It's just invigorating. I was thinking Tarot Revision, my book uh, that I wrote, is such a helpful tool. The back has a selected reading, and there's about 106 books that I said, if you are on a desert island and you want to have a renaissance mind, meaning what books are of value, what helps, these would help. But also my book, it was reviewed as possibly the most significant contribution in over 100 years to the tradition. Wow. I'm honored by that. But it was also that feeling of, but the work's there, because you want to give people tools. And I'm so glad you said that, because that's the key. I feel like a tool maker, a map maker, and mm-hmm. saying, Give yourself the pleasure of trusting your instrument, understanding some of its qualities, and you will be able to open up conversations within yourself because you yourself have opened that door. Amazing. Lee McCloskey, thank you so much again for being here. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you again to Lee McCloskey. You can find Lee all over the internet on Facebook, on Google, and and of course, we'll put some links as well as his five key takeaways in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. If you were served by this and think others should hear it too, please share this episode or just write a review on your favorite podcast app so that you too can lead more men and more women for that matter. Because we have a lot of women actually listen to this program as well. So your review could lead more women this way too. How about that? And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired. 